You're watching Two on One, the Internet's top sensation, where two disciples theologians speak to another theologically minded person about the topic of his, her, or their choosing, at least the first time around. Hi, I'm one of your co-hosts, the Reverend Arthur Stewart. I'm your other co-host, the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. Yeah, we have a new rule in season four, which is if we want to do a topic, we invite our returning guests to consider it. Uh, I, I just want to make that clear because sometimes you and I are really excited about stuff. And so too are our guests, but they probably would never have thought to do the show, or maybe we wouldn't have. It's synergy, everybody. Happy 2023. That's my star word. Synergy. Ooh, my star word was wonder. Wonder or wonder? Wonder. Okay, with an O. Yes. Yeah. My, yeah. my star word isn't actually synergy. I didn't go to like a, an epiphany service at a business seminar oh. at a Ramada Inn. But. Um, favorite, you know, one of our favorite guests on the show, Reverend Sarah Nae Fisher, gave me a star word and it was wonder. Oh, good for her. And I really liked it because there's a lot to wonder about. And as we are, you already named it. We're in season four, which is wild, Arthur. Four seasons, y'all. Yeah. It's crazy. But wonder really, I think, is, a, you know, a great season to lean into. Who are we going to have as guests? What are we going to talk about? You know, what are we going to do together as community? It's just a lot to wonder about. Do you want to know what my real stole word was? Oh, hell, I gave it away. My star word was stole. <laughs> I want to tell you about our lead sponsor, Jeff One Row Designs. <laughs> That's, uh, you know what, tell me about our lead sponsor, Jeff Wondrow Designs. Who for is 17 years, for 17 years or so, uh, Jeff Wondrow Designs has been making, crafting, and selling liturgical textiles of the finest variety, including stoles, paraments, altar accessories, frontals, chasubles, copes, miters, liturgical face masks, uh, you name it. There's a variety of customization options, liturgical season options, lengths, patterns, it's providential and marvelous. You should head over to jeffwonro.com, J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W.com. Check out the full catalog today. Two on One is sponsored by Jeff One Row Designs. It's a new year with the same code. Two on One One Five gets you 15% off your entire stole order at checkout. Now back to the show. Hey, uh, we have a guest. We do. We're talking about, of all things, a show that ended years ago but is still important and speaks to the state of the church today i'm going to bring in kara incredible friend of the of the pod hey kara welcome back to two on one hey thanks for having me we are uh, so grateful that you are here yeah so glee glee we are talking glee today and i know that you've been pretty vocal about having done a current rewatch um and yeah for me, Glee has been the first time I saw it. I was like, "Is was were, were there cameras in my high school?" Because that you <laughs> wouldn't even wanted to know what uh, theater spiff was like in high school. Just going over to Glee, <laughs> um, but I'm so glad that you're here to talk about it for season four. Yeah, pew pew. pew, pew. All right. So I watched it um, when it was first came out because it was wildly popular. And then um, I did a rewatch recently because my oldest is now a theater kid in middle school. And so what better way to kind of hang out, bond and um, 
get a quick crash course in all things musical theater, but um, binge watching Glee with her. You know, I, I started watching it with my 12 year old. Um, yeah. There's sometimes where I'm like, mm, I forgot about that or, Oh, that's okay. It's a little bit more mature content, but um, cause my, my child is a year younger than yours. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all get to make our own parenting decisions and anyone who's listening, you're welcome to judge me. I don't. Right. I mean, I guess they're welcome to, but I'll fight them. I would love to know if somebody is listening to us and like judging our guests four seasons in. Like, are, are there any hate listeners? Yeah, right. Because we've. I don't know. I don't know. You like, let your kid go, go through their fifth open heart surgery and see if you won't let them watch a little bit more mature content as a distraction to their life. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Glee, for those of you who are. Yeah. It was a cultural phenomenon that launched in what, like 2009? Uh, following a show choir, a glee club that is reestablished in a fictional high school, William McKinley High School in Lima, Ohio. It follows the trials and tribulations of the first 12 students over the course of a few seasons as they eventually win a national championship, despite the machinations of the evil cheerleading coach, Sue Sylvester. After that, the show kind of goes off the rails and starts replacing the cast every season, trying to find out how to recapture the magic, which it never does. It concluded in 2015. Am I correct about that? After six seasons. Um, And in the aftermath of it, having lost one of the main leads, two more uh, actors from the show's main cast have died since the continuation Mm -hmm. or the conclusion of production in 2015. And the yeah. only person to really have a career before it is, or after it is the only person who had it before it, uh, Jane Lynch playing Sue Sylvester, though we could argue about Leah Michelle as well. I yeah. also, I was just going to give like a little baby plug here for Chris Colfer. He um, talks openly about how when they were touring, he was writing his books. He writes phenomenal middle grade um, fantasy series books that like every kid in my house is obsessed with and all their friends are obsessed with. So he didn't go on to an acting career in the traditional sense, but like we're big fans over at this house. Okay. And that's fair. And I know Darren Chris (laughs) eventually started doing what he wants to do. um, Mm -hmm. I would say Darren Chris as as far especially as like a Broadway actor too has gone on. Um, And so I am I am woefully incorrect, but uh, gleefully willing to correct myself or be corrected. So listen, that's what this is all about. It's just a conversation. Where else do you get to learn than in conversation with other people? I mean, you can learn lots of places, but uh, I think you're right, though. I think Jane Lynch is the only one that has really continued the trajectory of her career from Glee. Well, so I think I uh, I will admit that today is a very very ecclesial heavy day for me, just thought wise about Glee. Um, because the way I see this show is that a whole bunch of people were brought in, expected to share their lives because a lot of the storylines on Glee were autobiographical and this weird blurring mm-hmm. of the Straczynski method. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it was super autobiographical. And with the rise of social media, they had to be present and they had to present like the prime version of themselves, but screen time was dictated on how well they did in part on social media. So there's there's very much a exposure of professional clergy life to the church that I am seeing parallel mm-hmm. in the actors on Glee and also with so mm-hmm. many friends of mine burning out or stepping back from ministry. There's also this uh, mm-hmm. expendability that is Ooh. very evident in the show. 
um, there was a little Irish boy, and I want to say his name was Mickey, um, who appears because he won some Glee side contest, and then he vanishes just as fast. Mm-hmm. Um, they use him, and they throw him away. So the question I think I have to ask about this is, does Glee teach us the worst things about ourselves? Like, does it encourage us to act poorly? I think it's a mirror of the worst things about ourselves. But for me, what I appreciate is there is an invitation to do better than our circumstances or better than our nature. Does that make sense? There's like an invitational nature to Glee, especially in those early seasons when they're still very ragtaggy and like there's a real kind of um, tension or fight within the glee club about like, is this a place where everyone is welcome? Or is this a place where only talented, attractive people are welcome? Or like, you know, and there's a real tension in the plot in that while at the same time, they're all behaving like typical te- the worst version of typical teenagers. Right. They're so I feel like glee is both a mirror. I think it's a mirror and an invitation. Hmm. It, like this is what we are, but this is what we could be, and they never quite get there. It's kind of, kind of like us striving for the kingdom of God. I mean, I think that that's it, right? It's a, it's you also both never get there as a high school theater kid as well. Like I, I, I could tell that it was written by people more my age, right? Because also it's older, because it's it's catty. It, it does it did reflect a, a good group of my theater friends who I'm still friends with. We all like, we're like, Ooh, this is a little too close to home. <laughs> like we saw that first episode because we did not think our school had enough spirit days. So we would create our own, like the, just the theater kids. So like 15 of us would dress all in all black and call it New York day or like, you know, like, um, or we did like beach day and we'd like come in our like, uh, like beach attire, which is, wild and i'm talking like 15 kids of 300 i went to a relatively small school but it was just like what um and yet there's something freeing about being why theater kids are are even the topic of this show right is because like at least in my experience it was the first place that i was given permission to show up as myself to show up uh in quirky and weird ways um especially in high school um in the 90s and and so I appreciated the the way in which it captured a part of my youth. I think for like some of us millennials, I was like, oh, I, I know those people. And yet uh, looking at it now, um, mm-hmm. I'm grateful that it reflects where we were and not where we are in some regards, that it gives me a little bit of that, of the space between to say, oh, look at how much we've grown. We are no longer in in that space um as adults and i don't even think theater kids in high school are in that space anymore which is lovely um and i'm grateful for but also it's remind it, as i kind of did a long on little deep dive i was um it reminded me of church in the ways that we everyone will still talk about that first cast season one everyone you know like mm-hmm. that and if that isn't but how we used to do it in the church in the good old days i don't know what is Our um founding pastor syndrome exactly where it's like yes but rachel berry used to do it this way and you know mr shoe and blah 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 and you're like mm-hmm. and yet here we are with whatever is new and next so mm-hmm. i think I think the show is from Mr. Shoe's perspective. Um, I know they tried to say that it's not, but it absolutely is. I think it is from a delusional white man who wants to save everybody's uh, viewpoint. And I think some of the plot lines are skewed around his understanding of himself and his world. I think Mr. Shoe definitely offers some conversations around boundaries. 
Yes, he oh, yeah. is a predator. Yeah, I think on and off, on and off the screen. Is that why he doesn't have a career? Well, he left at one point to go to Broadway because he actually went to Broadway, and then he realized nobody cared. Oh, that's a burn. Yeah, he got the burn. Um, but also in the same regard, you know, why are we still talking about it today? Because I think that there's something lasting that it did in a unique way. You know, there aren't there are other shows that mimic like or tried to mimic the things Glee did well. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think it's so unique to Glee because I will admit and one of the things that I really like about Glee is like I used to listen again as a theater kid we used to listen to the soundtracks of Glee and there are songs that were redone by this cast that I prefer to the original um and you know lots of people be like oh no 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 these kids were talented they had something Mm -hmm. new to say Mm -hmm. on an old story meaning that they took you know old songs that People knew. I mean, they took new songs too, but like they took songs that um, some of our generation had never heard before in their original state and brought them in a new way, um, in a new accessibility um, for mm-hmm. a new generation. And I think that there's something that the church can definitely learn from that. Um, they also sanitized really good songs. I think specifically about "Let's Have a Kiki," where they paired it with turkey lurky time um and simply had kurt go mother there's there's another two syllables after that that we should be well aware yeah so there's some prime time viewing things like this is also like in the context of like back when we used to watch tv in prime time right yeah Um, i think i was still getting my cd or my dvds from netflix in the mail when this was like happening so yeah i think um i mean the mashups i mean that's kind of one of the hallmark things for me for glee like musically is like they were the they were the kings and queens of mashups and they were mashing everything up um in in some unique ways and in some really trash ways i so i wonder so glee and when i say flash in the pan that's not the right word help me find the right phrase for it i think glee was remarkably unique because of the time it was being made it was directly mm-hmm. influenced by the rise of instagram um the, the again the people who had the most popular uh, social media accounts got more screen time it was also directly influenced by how they did like the sub shows, the last chance kitchen. I'm sorry. I, I really don't remember the name of it, but it's because people were able to stream things on the internet and they figured out how to do many episodes that were a thing like what in the late first Obama administration for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's a going back and watching it. Um, it. It's like watching home alone and being like, Oh, it literally can't happen today. Like, Kevin would text his parents. They wouldn't be able to run through the airport anyhow. They'd be like, oh, shit, we can't make it through security. Let's stay home. Yeah. Um, Glee couldn't happen today, I think, in part because of like things like Me Too and Black Lives Matter. But also simply because I, I think it only works contained within the space in which it happened. Like we also couldn't set it in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that in the past, with like when I've been on before about some other shows that like they are deeply contextual to the culture in which they were created. Um, right, fast in the because theory. there's just like something. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for that throwback reference. 
Hey, um, gotta, viewers and listeners, please go back and check my other episode. With you got to do a car you. race called Race Wars. Right. So I think for me, it was interesting doing the rewatch to figure out like what, like, especially with someone in middle school, they're my, you know, she's two years away from being in high school and immersed in a public school system. And like to see, like to watch it with somebody that's like closer to that age than I am and to be like, oh yeah, that's still relevant. Or like some things I had to like stop and explain to her because she's like, oh, weird. They used to do that then. Like particular kinds of like hatred or bigotry or like stuff like that. My daughter's like, oh, weird mom. Like they did that back in the day or they did, you know? So I think, you know, it's like all the shows that we, you know, if it's any show that we discussed that hasn't been made in the last like five years or so, and even some stuff now, like it's a real product of the culture that it was in. And yet again, like I, I, I thought it was interesting that you went and did the rewatch with your kid because I, I watch me navigate that sentence. <laughs> but go uh, ahead and judge. No, not judging. I was trying to make sure that I uh, keep the identity of your kid off the internet. That was what I was trying to think of how to say your. Oh child. yeah. That was what my was child, saying. my child. child. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so because for me, it speaks so spe- specifically to my childhood that to think that it still relates to theirs is fascinating. And then to even afterwards, you know, you and I got on the phone and then I did not get to talk to you because I talked to your kid for an hour about theater afterwards. One I loved it because it, it, again, bridges generations, like good art and good is subjective in this particular space, but like it does do something to bridge the gaps of generations. Why music, I think is so important to the worship experience and to our faith lives, because music can do something that just plain text can't sometimes. And it Mm-hmm. gave me and her something to talk about in new ways. Cause I wanted to know why it spoke to her, uh, to her and she wanted, you know, like, and we've talked about what my experience as a theater kid was like, and now we're in this new space together learning mm-hmm. from something that mm-hmm. in all honesty, Glee came in the middle of all of that. Right. I was well out mm-hmm. of college by the time it came around, but it was still mm-hmm. a throwback. Um, and yet here she is newly immersed in it, seeing herself in ways I'm assuming, Um, but also as a throwback. And I'm just, um, it speaks at least to me, to the worship and faith experience in our churches today, um, to the best of it. When we allow these things to be intergenerational and not claim them just for ours, um, for our generation, um, I think we can do a lot of good. Some mashups are timeless. Some mashups are timeless. And not everything works. Well, and like we were in the church. Yeah, I mean, like in the church, we're doing old things in new ways, right? Uh-huh. And um, for me, what's fun is to watch. Like, I didn't grow up um, in a theater culture, right? Like, exposed to that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And so, for me, like Glee was something that like exposed me to like songs from Rent and songs from um, all sorts of different places that I didn't naturally have exposure to. So um, it's fun for me with a theater kid who is intentionally trying to like pick all of that up, right? Yeah. To be able to sit and Google with her and look it up. And like, um, to me, there's sort of like a, a timelessness to maybe the Broadway component, mm-hmm. um, maybe less like 
sometimes like there'd be a mashup and I'd be like, oh, I completely forgot that song was a bop back in like 2012. Like, because I would never listen to it now. It went into oblivion. Like it's so, it's such a funny little time capsule in terms of the pop culture, but in terms of like the exposure to Broadway to like a wider audience and a way to like connect around some of that, I I found it really valuable. And I've been thinking about that as like, I disciple my kids in the church in this like new phase that's like older mm. um, in thinking about, um, you know, how do they engage this faith in a new way that's like interesting and compelling and makes them want to learn more. Um, it's just, you know, it's, I think in Glee, sometimes those mashups work and sometimes they don't. Yeah. And I think sometimes in the church, our best like Christian education efforts or um, attempt at intergenerational stuff works. And sometimes it, it doesn't. Um, Ooh, preach that. And I, uh, you know, one of the yeah. things that- one of the things that I I was really um, appreciative that it's been kind of going around uh, my new church community that I'm serving um, is we're going to fail and we're going to fail fast. Be, just meaning we are not, we're going to fail because that's part of life. And like God calls us into life together. And if we gloss over that, then we don't, we're not actually living fully together, but we also don't need to dwell in the things that we were just trying to see if they work, if it's stuck to the wall. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Sweep it off and let's try something new. And I think what I've always appreciated about being a theater kid and like how I grew up is that you know, the things that we were passionate about, the theater, mm-hmm. uh, they mm-hmm. take practice, you know, and, and, well, in sports as well for me, like that you can't go out there and play your best game or give your best performance without one community and two having done some work as community together. And I sometimes think- you're yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go no, ahead. you're good. I think that's a really interesting idea about the role of community in Glee and the role, like, because Arthur kind of talked about how the cast and characters were rewarded based on their solo performance on social media. Right. And I particularly, like, I think there's a real tension, like, um, my daughter and I talk about how Rachel Berry is the villain of the show. And we actually think that, um, that, uh, Jane Lynch's character is the anti-hero, like protagonist of the story. Like we have this whole theory around it. Um, but there is a real tension about whether that I think is reflective of that time and maybe even worse. So now Mm -hmm. about, is it better to go it alone and be the star or is it better to be in community and to share the joy and the work that it takes? Because Rachel's answer is always, it's better to go it alone and, and do not acknowledge the community that supports you. Right. Because we never actually, the idea that we do things alone is a total myth. It's like a total myth of capitalism and white supremacy. So, um, you know, do we do a Rachel Berry thing and like strive for our own thriving above the thriving of our community? Or do we um, stick with the Glee Club and think about ourselves or think about what is best for our collective thriving? And I think that tension is really apparent in that show and was a marker of time. And I think it's gotten worse. So I want to, I want to push back on the Rachel Berry thing too, though, because Rachel Berry is also insanely talented. Uh, Okay. She has gifts and graces, right? So at at one point, Schuster has Kurt audition. I think it's the Defying Gravity solo. Yes, it is. And she says, stop using me for your life lessons. And I think about that sometimes because we do have to find ways to plug people in who would rather go it alone. 
in such a way that honors what they bring to the table without making them the 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 spotlight uh the only person in the spotlight like we well, can't lose people if we don't use their gifts just as much as we can lose people if we never acknowledge i think i um i resonate it's a very old essay um probably as old as the show actually lillian daniels talks about that in um this wondrous calling about the metaphor of um a cast of a thousand characters like mm-hmm. church is a production that everyone needs a role in mm-hmm. everyone needs to be cast somewhere and when you have a cast of a thousand characters the production can get a little bumpy sure. and it takes longer when you have to like get everyone in their spot and get them costumed and things like that. And I think, I think you're right. There is a balance between like, we don't want to squander gifts. Um, but we also don't want to leave anyone behind that wants to be a part of this show Precisely. and wants to be a part of this story, not just show, but like the story of Christ's resurrection. A thousand percent. Well, and again, like one of those things, like theater, we put a lot of emphasis on on who gets cast as the lead right like we don't always talk about who you know on how important ensemble pieces are how important you know it all of that and so and i think mm-hmm. that often translate or i can see it translate cuz i think i saw myself in early rachel berry because as theater kids we were trying to get the lead piece it it just wasn't as talked about on how cool it was to also be we all wanted to be audrey and not one of the doo-wop girls right like just because whatever and the doo-wop girls have way better songs like um hold on can i finish one second Um, but i think we i can see that mirror and why that is or can be so harmful for the church when we start to think of the senior pastors or the pastors of the leads and not part of this larger ensemble piece. Um, one of the things that I have, you know, when I've been talking and reflecting on um, ministry at my last call, my, one of my favorite Sundays was <laughs> not really my favorite Sunday. Cause I broke my leg earlier in the week. I was supposed to preach. I could not preach because I could not write my sermon and I called my elders and they filled in for me and, and the production went on, right? Like for lack of a better term, they wrote prayers instead of the, um, the sermon piece and God was praised and people gathered. And for me, I look at that Sunday, the Sunday that I did not actively participate as a leader, but was just one of the many, um, in that space as one of my most successful spaces in ministry. Um, because, they were empowered to use their gifts and graces to do the work uh, in mm-hmm. a new way, in a way that, you know, now that's not the same for theater, but I think for me, it's a nice reminder that no matter who you are cast as uh, it's an ensemble piece. So, yeah. And I think the church more so than the theater is very vulnerable mm-hmm. to main star kind of, the like people we make the lead or the main star without question because they have specific gifts that make them really good at being in that role i have watched um not be the healthiest thing long term yeah um when you when you put someone in that position healthy for them healthy for the church healthy for the kingdom of god healthy for the rest of the staff um because to me it's sort of um a, a sin in some ways 
um, we don't, we don't use that word as disciples very often, but like, we really are called to like, understand that there are a variety of gifts and that we don't move forward without all of them. And so when we prioritize like someone that's like just a hot ass public speaker or just really a rock star at something, and we don't value like all the gifts that go into that, like, that's just not going to get us like, that's not the kingdom where everyone is included. Everyone is welcome, no matter how awkward or weird or whatever they are. Like, I just, I'm very mindful that like the endeavor that we set out to do in the church is supposed to look different than the culture and is supposed to hold some sort of different values in terms of what is the value of people and gifts. Mm-hmm. I'm done with my sermon. No, I I completely agree. It's it's working. All three of us were ordained in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ of the Southwest. Is that right? No. 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 Or no. <laughs> I was ordained in um, the Christian Church in Oklahoma oh, with okay. co-sponsorship from the Christian Church in Tennessee. My and I was I was Pacific Southwest with co-sponsorship. However, I have served on ACOM and ARCOM in the Christian church in the Southwest. So I do have context for your experience. I bring up the Southwest because the final interview in the Christian church disciples of Christ in the Southwest, which is all of New Mexico, all of Texas and the panhandle of Oklahoma. um, You're in a room with 30 to 40 people who are intentionally trying to stonewall you and they can ask you any question they wish for like an hour and a half. Uh, I love. It. I don't know that I would describe that as their primary intention is to stonewall you. No, but... but they kept warning me about that, and I realized it's because I intrinsically know how to feed off a room, and I think that was a, a warning in there. And I know oh. I'm talking to three and a one who both get it too, but it's. I mean, I got I it too, but I just um, want to say I don't think that that's their primary. Focus. Right, but I think it's also a. I think there's a severity that's baked into it. Um, I was. It is much that. more intense as someone who has sat in that room and then had different ordination experiences in other regions. It is uniquely less conversational than a lot of experiences, other experiences in other regions. And working with introverts and people who are far more pastorally minded than I am. And much mm-hmm. who I would want at my bedside before I wanted me at my bedside uh, in terms of care. They did not succeed in that environment. And that environment did not work for them. Because again, mm-hmm. if we have a hot ass public speaker, we, we attach our stars to it. I'm also going to note that my theater experience in high school was infinitely different from yours, Spiff, I guess. Because like one, I didn't get to try out for Harold Hill in The Music Man. I was just told if you want to be Charlie Cowell, you can be because I was the character actor who could sing. Therefore, like I didn't get to try out to be Seymour. I was just told I was Mushnik. And then they made me go to the dance audition and I turned the hand jive from Greece into a very vulgar thing because I was furious that I couldn't try out for the dentist. A little Mushnik and son. Yeah, Um, because I was the only person who could affect an, an accent approximating what would be appropriate in that time it's so you guys are both theater nerds talking about this show and i attended I, one theater performance of my high school the whole time but what i really want to point out on it is this there was also that manner of you know when i was charlie cowell i was also on the property property good lord hello church i was also on set right so i would work till two in the morning building out river city iowa or you know the madison library and all that jazz mm-hmm. It's a matter of finding all of the ways that we can plug in and make gifts work at a theater that will remain anonymous in my adult years. Yeah. There was a playwright, there was a stage manager, and there was the lead. And the lead thought himself very, 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 very important and was very demanding. 
And the stage manager finally said, I've been doing this for 30 years and I have never said this. I will quit today unless you rein his behavior in. Oh, wow. And I will say, oh, okay, sorry. Sorry. The, the story has a point, I promise. The playwright ended up firing the lead in there. When we talk about ensemble, we have it on both sides. It, it, it the, you know, the, tell me a person whose deal is props isn't important when you don't have a knife with which to dance yeah. around. I don't know. I'm going to shut up. I, I will say that I'm grateful for my experience because of how you were, t- before we were taught about theater and acting and, and all of that, we were taught tech and the importance and value of the people that actually help put this on. And so, you know, they, uh, before every performance we would hold hands and do our like warm-ups and like cast bonding and tech was always invited into that space um there was always you know they got their own bows and um i think it has done well for me in church leadership to remember that like when they just want to put you know a pastor's face on something like the website or whatever you know like it does. It is not just one person that makes a church run. It is every person down to custodial care staff to the congregant writ large. So, mm-hmm. well, and I've always I've spent my entire ministry in multi-staff congregations, mm-hmm. um, and I know that's a very unique experience in disciples um, because I um, <laughs> I've always been an associate in the congregational context. And the number one comment I get after I preach is like, oh my gosh, you're really good for an associate. And oh man, you take Ooh. a decade of that comment. Yeah. And what I started saying to people is you're right. I am a good preacher, but I'm called to work on teams. Mm-hmm. And at 27, they aren't giving full teams for someone like to be the lead preacher of a full team. Right. Yeah. So um, I have always been a part of an ensemble cast. So, um, but I had lunch the other day with a, a really dear colleague of mine that's serving in their first call in ministry and they're a solo pastor. And so, um, you know, just really, th- we spent a lot of time just talking about and thinking about like what that experience is like when you're called to be a part of an ensemble cast, so to speak. Um, I just, I guess my question in all of this, like theater chat and thinking about Glee is, um, if theater is a metaphor for the church, then what does the kingdom of God look like? Mm. We can go to Kierkegaard. Uh, we are the ones performing and God is the audience. Interesting. So, so Carrie, your question is somebody that is an Enneagram performing number. I hate that because I, my, my work is to not perform, especially not before God. And as someone that's trained in spiritual direction, like God doesn't need or want my performance. Yeah. So have you, God wants my whole and authentic self. So I'm going to push um, back as a, as an improviser and a jazz musician and a performer in that kind of way, because yeah, 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 yeah. Do it. Do it. Inseparable from the work I do. So let's, let's ignore the, the theatrical side of it. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Let's ignore the pre-written part that is being performed. And I think one can't not put oneself into performance. Anyhow, have you ever seen a very Potter musical uh, with Teen Star Kid? Okay. Mm -hmm. You will probably love it. It was a theater group that was based out of the university of Michigan. Harry Potter is played by Darren Chris when he is in college. That's actually why he had such a backing in order to become Blaine on Glee. A very Potter musical is low-tech, uh, absolutely ridiculous, and just pure joy. And it's because they're writing this show 
for the people who are coming to see the show and the people who are coming to see the show are watching the show. So it's a symbiotic performative relationship. Mm. So much fun to be a part of it, even watching a recording 20 years, not 20, 15 years later, because there's almost a contagious, I'm going to call it agape in there, right? Not, not agape, koinonia. There's a, there's a symbiotic fellowship that kind of builds both parties up. Um, And I would, I would suggest that that is the kind of performative aspect that perhaps Kierkegaard is suggesting. And I know that's what I'm talking about when I say kingdom of God, when we go to see a drag show, we all know that it is a person who identifies as male perform well in the most part performing as a female, but mm-hmm. there's a blurring of lines. We know that if they're lip syncing, they're, they're not actually Judy Garland, but if they're called Judy Gayland, we're like, Oh my gosh, Judy is amazing. Like we're, we're also playing into the show because the show mm-hmm. is, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. that's where I'm coming from in there. Sorry. I, I hope I'm not mansplaining. No, I think you're exper- like, I, I think that there's room for different experiences in this. Yes. Um, and I, I like the question of like who, because you know, I think I, uh, as a performative number, I think I try really hard to make sure that authenticity is part of the hallmark of what my ministry is and how people experience me and my leadership. It is not meant, and my relationship with God. Um, I, mm-hmm. I was talking about this the other day in my prayer time. I generally start prayer time with a prayer that is not my own because I am inclined to performative spaces that I want to make sure that I'm not being performative with God. So I take, uh, my own words out of the, the issue, right? Like I just read someone else's to center mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. so that my words become more authentic and my thoughts are more authentic mm-hmm. to me for mm-hmm. my relationship mm-hmm. with God. And I think in part that that is what um, good theater also can do or just theater in general. Like you're taking someone else's words and you're making them not only your own in your own character, but like for your own context and place and time. And while it is performative, it is meant to feel authentic because if it just feels performative, you aren't as the audience, you aren't moved, you aren't engaged. It just feels like someone saying words at you. Whereas if you uh, if you take into context who the character is supposed to be and really meld that into who what your gifts are, then it it's a new performance, meaning just a new kind of thing to do. God is there. It's authentic to you um, and what you're called to do in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'm I'm following with Arthur a lot better. I'm sorry I gave you my niece snap reaction about performance. It's just an area where I'm guarding my spirit and doing my work. But I think what you're talking about is like the dialectic nature of our relationship with God. That even if God is in the audience, like you're like you think about, I don't know if theater is the same way, but like live music, like artists will talk about like every show is unique because the audience shows up differently in that and like shapes the entire experience that everyone is having. And I think that's one of my very favorite things of all time. And and, and I compare this to the table of Jesus Christ far too often, obnoxiously. So there's semi-pro wrestling done by Chikasa and it's, it's gimmicky and it's intentionally kind of dumb. So at one point you can hear the announcers, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, he's doing, he's doing going into slow motion. And the wrestlers proceed to at this like incredible show of physical control, 
they're wrestling in slow motion. And then at one point, one of them gets pinned and you can hear the audience going, one, two, like everybody's in on the joke. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Um, I, I, and Glee, I think, to tie back to that show in it, stopped letting everyone in on the joke when it became so competitively how do we how do we keep things um good became the enemy of best and best is impossible at least in my viewpoint but i may be again blowing smoke so i want to um can we turn really quick because i want to make sure that we hit leah michelle um because talk about a wild twist of events for her um one well I, I just think that she has <laughs> Leah Michelle as a human, Leah Michelle as an actor, Leah Michelle's time on Glee um, is so wild. I, you know, there's the rumor that she can't read. Um, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have there's to. There's the open secret that she's absolutely terrible to her castmates. There's the open secret that she is just, uh, just awful. And there's the whole fact of like, as Glee is biographical-ish, the fact that she ended up becoming Fanny Bryce in the revival of Funny Girl, which was a plot point, and she may or may not have tried to kill the previous (laughs) actress playing Fanny Bryce. Of course, I think I'm kidding. Um, Yeah, I don't think she came too hard for uh, for Beanie Feldstein, but... Yeah. um... (laughs) Yeah, there's a... There's a lot of nuance to Miss Michelle. One, I want to name that I can't imagine the grief she must carry around her most famous uh, character. Everyone knows Leah Michelle from Glee, I would think, right? Is that, if that's fair to say, yeah. like that's where people point yeah. to her. And, you know, someone whom she loved very deeply died. Like she has deep grief, like her boyfriend died. Like her actual in real life boyfriend died in that space. Now they weren't together, but also I imagine, you know, there is grief there and there, you know, and so I don't want to uh, gloss over the fact that like, I imagine it's a turbulent time for, <laughs> for Miss Michelle. Um, and also it's just a known fact that she was also just terrible to people. And yet why does she st- why is she still in the public light? Well, to give the spotlight to people because we're not learning our lesson about ensemble about ensemble work. But I will say, I almost want to kind of root for her, yeah, so to speak, only because I feel like women who behave badly get canceled far faster than men and stay canceled longer than men. So part of me is like. Good on you, sister, for having a terrible reputation and avoiding, like, you know, I don't want her to have, I mean, she has, I mean, there are reports from her castmates that she was openly racist and openly threatening and like homophobic. And I just, I don't, I don't want to affirm, you find it fascinating that she hasn't been uh, relegated to the outskirts of her career field um, when often that's what happens to women. So she did a little, at least from what I understand, because I'm with you. One, Tell I want to about that because I don't want. Well, yeah, one, I just I want to root for her, too. I think you bring up a really good point. Uh, you know, 
I've learned a lot in my years in, in how I manage people, how I work with people. And if I were judged solely on the first years that I was learning how to be, um, in, in charge, learning how to manage people, uh, yeah, had they canceled me and, you know, yeah, sure. Like, I like to think that I've worked on myself. I have learned, I have grown and I'm a better team player and manager now than I was. And so, you know, I want to give her the grace to be like, do your work. And yet, uh, so she was supposed to, I think she was in talks to be the, when they were bringing, um, funny girl back to Broadway. The conversation was that she was going to be Fanny Bryce. Like that was it. And then there was enough of a stink about it that she didn't get it. And it went to Beanie. And now I saw Beanie's last night. Um, she's a great character actress. There's also the fact that, and we named it earlier, Leah Michelle has pipes, man. Like the and everyone that I have saw or everyone that I've talked to that has seen that show and saw it with Brand or with Beanie and then Leah, everyone will say Beanie was a great character actor. It was fun, but man, when you listen to Leah Michelle sing, it it does something. Like she has a, mm. a distinctly unique talent that is, she can sing. Like there's just no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. That girl has, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. is an incredible mm-hmm. vocalist. And, mm-hmm. um, and that is just, and so she didn't get it at first. And then there was some issue. And when she got it after, when they made Beanie move, cause the tickets weren't selling, it all has to do with capitalism as well. Right. As we named earlier that mm-hmm. it, because she has such a unique gift uh, that, you know, she'll bring in the tickets that be, you know, the beanie wasn't um, for lots of different reasons. And I think that we get caught up in all of that in the church in, Oh, but they've got a really good, you know, they can do this one thing really well, but we don't expect them to do uh, the rest of the work. I would hope that whoever is putting on <laughs> funny girl right now, is uh requiring their leads Ms. Michelle to do some of that work, right? Because they are there leading and up front in the cast, right? We do have a history of being racist and whatnot. How have you grown? They, I, I'm hopeful that those were some of the questions before they bring them on. Do I think they really haven't? Probably not, but uh I can hope. <laughs> I mean, what a what a fun place of tension, right? We have to make space for people to grow. We have to make space for people to become. We also have to hold ourselves and each other accountable. We have to trust relationship. We have to trust the Holy Spirit. We also can't. I mean, like it's it's just it's a day by day type thing. Yeah, yeah. and that's true yeah. for all of us in God's kingdom, right? Like it's just we all have our gifts. We all have whatever it is that we are bringing to this church, and hopefully, we're all still growing. And holding each other accountable to that growth. So, um, yeah. But I am looking at our time um, mm-hmm. of season four. Uh, I cannot believe that we are in season four. And care is this your sixth? Wild. Time? Yeah, I think this is. I, is it six? I think it's my five. Pete. I don't know. I'm a. Um, but I'll be back again in season four because there's a handful of people that have been on more than me, and it bugs me. Uh Champion. Well, she no, is a champion. Sarah, I will tell you this, a general assembly, we might have a little gift for our five times club. And also for Oh, I love it. Our show. So if you come to the two-on-one booth 
and you can prove that you are who you say you are. I will make some people give photo ID just for fun. Uh, we will have um, little tokens of our esteem. Oh, that's really fun. I don't know if they'll let me out of our like production office <laughs> out of to production. go on the floor, but um, I hear we you. work really hard. But um, if they do, your booth is the first one I'm coming to to get my prize. And whatever it is, I'm going to wear it with honor and glory. Okay. I love it's that. Be a t-shirt that has like the neck and body of a person in a bikini that says two on one. Oh, that's a vibe. Okay. <laughs> that's a see. choice Arthur's going to make by himself. Yeah. Like, okay, Arthur. And by I that, I mean, I'm just you. I'm going to wear it the whole time at General Assembly because. <sighs> Okay. He says he's not, just letting you know. He's certainly not. Arthur's bringing that, like, Jimmy Buffett, like, retiree Florida vibe to Kentucky, apparently. I think there's enough people that are going to try and do that, that Arthur doesn't need to work too hard to find his people. No. But, hey, uh, thanks for coming on, and thanks for doing this six times with us, and thanks for talking about Glee. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh, I forgot all about the Glee. Oh. Oh, Glee. Um, but as is our tradition, Kara, uh, what biblical theme, narrative, person, verse, uh, whatever, are you most reminded of in Glee? The only natural answer is Luke because it's written as a musical. Ooh. Say more on that, please. Theophilus, the uh, known performer. Well, um i'm here for it yeah no there's just like moments in the gospel of luke where they pause and break out in song to like make a narrative point yeah. yeah so i mean you know i love that i love the idea that theoph like who right it's luke that's written to theophilus is like known theater critic theophilus <laughs> let's tell you the story of jesus where in turn some people break out into song which for me is a real lacking point of actual life that enough people don't break into song when well i'm moving and the very opening of luke says that it's a mashup it does it says i took all of these sources and put them all together and there you go Uh, thank you thank you i feel like i always get this question wrong so you those of you that feel pressure when you come on two on one to get this question right, you too will get it right after six times. There are no right or wrong answers. Right. And you've actually, no, there there are. You've never given a wrong answer on this show. Like every time you've answered this question, it has been correct. And there have been wrong answers, in my opinion. I promise you that's real. And also you have not been one of the people who I'm like. Well, we'll look forward to the behind the scenes episode of two on one where you spill that tea on who gave wrong answers. I will. I'm talking to Andy Cohen right after this. Um, But I'm going to say that the people of Lima, Ohio are Corinth uh, before the Corinthian letters. And I'm going to say that Sue Sylvester is the Apostle Paul. I completely agree with the anti-hero thing. I completely yes. stand by that. And Sue Sylvester is trying to get people to act in a certain and specific way as she envisions a beloved community. And also she is both lovable and incredibly dislikable. Oh yeah. She's all the things. Yeah. But she's, she's standout in that, in that group. Yeah. Uh, I, I hate that Arthur took in part, part of my thing. Cause I was going to go, I think Sue is Paul. 
Well, my answer is, I think Sue is Paul. I think that, as we all know, I have a complicated relationship with Paul. And I don't know if you know this, but in Spiff's inaugural sermon, she used 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, um, which I take as vindication for four seasons of the show, talking about how much I like the Corinthian correspondence. Obviously, yesterday was all about you, Arthur. Precisely. And not about God and yeah. what God is doing or Spiff. But obviously, yes, it is totally all about two on one and Arthur. I think there's a little bit. I think there's a little bit of corruption. Definitely. I think there's some influence there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But my answer, my answer is going to be that Sue is Paul, someone that uh, I love to hate and hate to love. And all the, you know, in the back, of, I think that I have a uh, and love to love. And uh, I think that there is something there. She in- delivers some of the best plot. She does. I mean, just, we haven't even talked about like, she delivers some of the best plot when she married herself. I was like, yeah. Well, how about when she just decides to turn against the glee club because she can't like like, when she, when she like takes Becky on. Oh my gosh. I was like, "Mm." and there, you know, like she, she knows who she is. And I, there is something about that that I really appreciate in a an ensemble piece where so many of the ensemble members themselves, because of the age group that they're in, are meant to be growing and changing and figuring themselves out. Like there is something to having Sue Sylvester as a teacher that you can look up to or some, you know, in that world that is so confident in who she is um, and grows with you. Um, I, I appreciated it. Um, and yet there's some things and I'm just like, oh, so crazy. Yeah. I mean, if any of the adults in, in that school talk to my child, the way they talk to children in that school, uh, like, yeah. they meet me mommy. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> For uh, sure. I'm not, I'm not or scary to, mommy. I'm not going to tell the context in which I had to make this threat, but I definitely had to say to, uh, one of my children's schools that, uh, I'm going to come up and talk to you and I'm going to be wearing a plaid shirt and blue jeans this time. And if it's not resolved the way I think it should be, I will be back wearing a clergy collar with the press. And they were like, okay. I was like, good. I just want us to understand expectations coming into this and they resolved it. So I love that. Yeah. Well, sometimes you got to get your inner parent, parent bear out. I love that. Sylvester and all of them would get the mind out. (laughs) I'm in my yeah. Wow. Okay. I love that. Karen, tell our people though quickly before we leave you have an incredible blog out or it's on a, a newsletter all the things how can people find you how can people follow oh. your work um and all of that um people can find me on facebook instagram and twitter um i have caregilger.com i blog there you can sign up for my newsletter that's twice a month and it's just um my pop culture zone is usually like books. So that's where you can find me talking about everything I'm reading or not reading or wish I could be reading. Um, plus theological reflections on um, just what it means to be a disciple and to try to live a compassionate and thoughtful life um, in in this hellscape of a world. I don't know what else to say. And it's um, great. So that's how people can find me. Um, yeah. What else do I need to add? I think that's it. Well, come to General Assembly. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I work for the Office of General Minister and President as the Director of Communications. And so we've got this big event happening where we're all going to get together in person and we're going to stream parts of it um, digitally. So if you can't make it, you should um, definitely tune in. Um, but we hope that you come. And you'll get to check out me and Arthur and Stephanie in these um, t-shirts that Arthur's going to design that we're all very questionable about. So if worship is not your draw and workshops are not your draw, please, please come so you can see us make fools of ourselves. Well, maybe we'll have in real time. Maybe we'll have some fun uh, two-on-one swag to give away, like charcuterie boards, boards that say, you know, I'm a fan of hard meats, that kind of stuff. I'm never going to live down the hard meats. Will we have charcuterie boards? Maybe. Will we have stickers and such? Definitely. So come, yeah. come by. Well, on behalf of the two on one project, until we see you live in living color and in person in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, I am the Reverend Arthur Stewart. I'm the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. I'm the guest, Reverend Kara Gilger. There you are. (laughs) And uh, this has been Glee. Go out there and throw a slushie at a nerd, and we'll see you next week. Don't do that. No, don't do that. (laughs) Get more two-on-one at twoononeproject.com.